It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. Hello and welcome to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, as always, Show Ali and. We're coming to the end of the summer rapidly. Isn't it kind of weird? The last two episodes of this podcast, I've complained about the heat. I complained, and then I said it's still hot. And you know what? It is still hot today. But with August, I always kind of feel like the summer is coming to an end. I think it's because, as I've mentioned to you guys before, I'm a big sports fan. And there's nothing really going on in sports right now, especially in the city of Toronto, other than the god-awful Blue Jays. And... Outside of the Blue Jays, nothing really happens in August other than training camps and preseasons and, you know, the last bit of free agents, you know, kind of signed with new teams. And because of that, August always seems to me to be like the month of holding, you know, the holding pattern month before we start things back in September with the NFL, you know. The NHL starts at the beginning of October, but all the preseason stuff happens then, same with basketball, the NBA, which I'm really excited for this year. Looks like the Raptors are going to start uh, the season against the New Orleans Pelicans on October 22nd, which is kind of nice. But August just seems to be the part, maybe also because I'm used to school. You know, I've been out of school for a number of years now, many years. But at the same time, September still kind of in a way seems to me like, oh, I should be getting ready for something. And for me, I'm getting ready for football these days instead of uh, instead of for university classes or what have you. But even so... August means we're kind of coming to the end of summer, which also means movie-wise that we're coming to the end of the major blockbuster season, right? So we're going to do just one episode or one movie on the episode today, and it's going to be Hobbs and Shaw, which I really liked as a spoiler. You know, I guess I guess if that's all you really wanted to know, you can stop the episode right now, but if you want a little more detail, we'll continue on in a sec, but... I want to talk about Hobbs and Shaw, and then I'm also going to talk a little bit about after the review. I usually do these kind of things before the review, but we're going to do it after the review today. We're going to talk a little bit about where Hobbs and Shaw ranks in the all-time Fast and the Furious rankings. I count this as the fa- as the ninth Fast and the Furious movie. Fast and the Furious 9 obviously hasn't officially come out yet, but I'm going to count it anyways just because, you know, it's still a Fast and the Furious movie. So I don't want to spoil how good I think Hobbs and Shaw is by saying where it is in the ranking, right? Whether it's really high, that means it's really good. Whether it's really low, it means it's really bad. You know what I mean? So we're going to do it after the movie, and we'll see where it fits in into the Fast and the Furious canon, let's say, okay? So without further ado, let's get into the next 10 minutes or so talking about Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, there you go. That is Cypress Hill and Idris Elba. It's pretty crazy, right? I mean, maybe not so crazy. Cypress Hill is, of course, 
pretty famous, but Idris Elba is not exactly famous for being a rapper. He was f- famous for being a DJ, I think, outside of his acting career. But yeah, kind of cool. I, I kind of like this. this. This was a song that actually played over the credits. I think it played a remixed version, actually, over the credits. But uh, yeah, it was kind of cool hearing Idris Elba rap for a little bit, right? I mean, it, he, he, was, he was great in the movie. I already kind of said before in that little preamble uh, after we kind of opened the episode that I like this movie. And I think generally my thoughts on Hobbs and Shaw are positive. If we're we're going with the uh, Rotten Tomato meter ranking, the uh, cutoff is six out of 10. It's a six out of 10 for sure. It's a seven out of 10. Probably I would say maybe even a seven and a half out of 10 if we're allowed to give half points. But yeah, that's, that's how I felt about this movie. It's really good. It's not, gonna win any awards it's not you know i i I sound like a snob when i say this it's not you know quote-unquote highbrow filmmaking right i would i would argue that you know how i said before guys where if i could distill a movie down to one i said one word before but let's like broaden that to one maybe general thought to you know in, in terms of boiling a review down to its essence i would say that the fast and the furious is exactly what you think it is. I should say Hobbs and Shaw. Fast and the Furious series in general, obviously, is exactly what you think it is. But the Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw is is quite literally exactly what you, the viewer, think of the Fast and the Furious series, which is that it's essentially superhero-like characters. They're not superheroes in the sense that they're Iron Man and Captain America and stuff, but, I mean, in terms of the feats they do, the superhuman feats they do, it is essentially superpowers. And, and look, Brixton, who is uh, Idris Elba's villain character in this movie, is actually a superhero. He's, like, some kind of cyborg. He's, like, a genetically enhanced, physically, mechanically, whatever you want to say, enhanced supervillain who can, you know, punch through steel and, like, do all these crazy things. So they're basically superheroes. You know what I mean? So we'll, we'll put that aside, though. Like I said, exactly what you think it is, especially since Fast Five came out, and I want to say 2011, I think this whole series has taken on a different turn, as you all know, right? I mean, Fast, the Fast and the Furious series has become infamous for changing just from, like, you know, guys stealing DVD players, and who even has those anymore, right? Guys stealing DVD players and an FBI agent going to go undercover, which is, like, a pretty standard storyline in cop movies, to... What? Let's see what happened in Fast Five. I guess it was guys running roughshod around Rio de Janeiro with a gigantic bank, and then the runway that never ended in Fast Six, and then Satellite and the God's Eye blowing things up from orbit, plus Paul Walker dying in real life, and then Fast Eight with like Charlize Theron making it rain cars and like Jason Statham getting rock bottoms, right? So I mean, yeah, like that. The Fast, the Fast and the Furious movies, if you boil it down to those things, sound crazy, right? And Hobbs and Shaw is is no exception. You know, it's no exception. And let's put it this way. Here's some general thoughts I have on the movie, okay? The Rock and Jason Statham, and no, I'm not going to say Dwayne Johnson. His, he is The Rock and always will be The Rock. So The Rock and Jason Statham, they have great chemistry. Let's be honest, though. Let's be honest with each other here because this movie exists entirely because they have good chemistry, right? We saw them have good chemistry in Fast 7 when Jason Statham was the villain. We saw them have good chemistry in Fast 8 when Jason Statham reluctantly joins their gang and in this spinoff, right, which is basically Fast 9. So I think it was a, there was a possibility that too, there's too much of a good thing. And I think maybe that's true... What am I trying to say here? I guess the good thing is that 
it wasn't too much. Does that make sense? It wasn't too much. The Jason Satum, the rock chemistry, all their scenes together, they were great. And everyone, like it had the theater and stitches. Everyone was really enjoying themselves because look, let's face it. If you're going to see Hobbs and Shaw, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into, right? And look, I wanted to talk about something really interesting here in terms of the acting, because every actor, I think, did pretty well, right? The cast was The Rock, Jason Statham, Vanessa Kirby, who's a newcomer to the Fast and the Furious series. You might remember her from Mission Impossible Fallout as the White Widow. And of course, she was in the TV show The Crown on Netflix. She plays, I believe... Uh, Princess Elizabeth, I mean, Queen Elizabeth, of course, at the time she was the princess, but Queen Elizabeth's uh, sister, younger sister, Margaret, I believe, right? Not a huge history buff. I'm pretty sure that's who she plays, but she was in The Crown. Uh, and then the bad guy, Idris Elba, and we got some guest stars we'll talk about in a sec. But uh, And then Helen Mirren returns as well, right? So the acting, pretty great. But Vanessa Kirby, I think, if you have to pick an acting winner, I guess, it's Vanessa Kirby. You know what I mean? She is... I feel like, you know, people often say this person was the heart of the movie or the heart of the sports team or whatever. Vanessa Kirby is that for Hobbs and Shaw. You know what I mean? Like she kicks ass. She is a great actor. The romance subplot between her and The Rock is just not very imaginable in the first place. And even though the two of them have this magnetic screen presence on their own, together it was completely unbelievable. Not because of the age difference or anything like that, but... It's just, they just didn't really, it just didn't really seem to fit. You know, sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. It just didn't really seem to fit there. Although I will say that it makes up, the movie makes up for it because I absolutely believed within the context of the movie that Vanessa Kirby's character, Hattie, is actually Deckard Shaw, Jason Statham's character, his younger sister, right? Because that's kind of the plot of the movie. She gets into trouble. Her big brother, Deckard Shaw, who we all know and love, goes to save her along with uh, The Rock, Luke Hobbs, in tow, right? And I will say, hey, look, I went to go see this movie with my brother and sister, which is kind of cool. So considering this movie is about family, mi familia, as as all these <laughs> Fast and the Furious movies are, but it was kind of cool because this movie is not just about your family in terms of, you know, like your, you know, your friends who become your family, like your extended family who are your real family or your children or whatever. It's about your brothers and your sisters. And I really like that because I went to go see it with my brother and sister, not really knowing that. So there you go. Win for me, right? But uh, apart from Vanessa Kirby, you know, The Rock is fine. You know, the, the opening of this movie with him actually reminds me a lot of the rundown, you know, the vibe, the way it was shot, things he fights with, like this like, kind of like tray pan thing. It was kind of cool. I, I, I really liked it. Which, and the rundown also, by the way, I, I will mention is probably The Rock's, maybe not his best movie, but I would say like his third best movie, right? Behind like, what, Fast Five probably and Moana? I would personally put the game plan in there, but I also just really like football, so there you go, right? <laughs> um, Jason Statham, also great. If you guys haven't seen the movie Spy he's in with um, Melissa McCarthy, absolutely hilarious film, and a huge part of that is because Jason Statham is so good at delivering one-liners, and he slays that in this. Both he and The Rock absolutely kill it, honestly. There's a great one, a great shot about baby oil that Jason Statham lays on The Rock, which is, I, I have to admit, it got me laughing pretty great. Uh, a lot of driving parts. I mean, obviously, it's a Fast and the Furious movie, but I almost feel like with Jason Statham in particular... It almost alludes to his days from the Transporter series, which honestly, let's be real, is why he was in Fast 7 to begin with, right? Starting with the Fast 6 post credit scene and now Fast 7. And they, they use it to great effect. There's a particularly cool scene where Jason Statham uses his really like low-to-the-ground McLaren car, and he like drifts underneath two trucks going in opposite directions. And Idris Elba, who we'll talk about in a sec, 
Idris Elba has a motorcycle that is essentially a transformer. Like, I swear to God, when that when Idris Elba is on his transforming motorcycle, where it transforms and it like basically gets low to the ground, and it's hard to describe without seeing it, but it's like a transformer basically. It makes like a sound which is like the coolest thing ever because i love that kind of stuff because like i have a decepticon sticker on my car i know super not nerdy of me right i'm really cool but it was just funny because the whole theater was like that is just absurd and everyone just started laughing but it was it was still cool to see and idris elba himself i mean what more can i really say about him i'm black superman I mean, yeah, no kidding. He's he's pretty awesome. He's incredibly charismatic. He's the perfect choice to play the bad guy. I mean, Elba is sublime as the bad guy in virtually everything he's been in when he does that role, like The Wire as Stringer Bell or The Losers. And I love when he does it. I will say, actually, on the on Idris Elba, Vanessa Kirby fonts, I guess, it's a very diverse movie, right? I mean, Vanessa Kirby is white, obviously, but, you know, a woman having a very large role. You know, The Rock is not white. Idris Elba is not white. And then, and, you know, they, it's, it was just kind of cool. And then, you know, with, with, they go to Samoa at the end because you see that in the trailer. They go old school, lo-fi kind of thing, right? And that was pretty cool as well. In a sense, you know, my, my only cons really were that, like, it felt the movie was, like, 15 to 20 minutes too long. You know, ultimate, ultimately, story-wise, they didn't really need the bit in Samoa. Even though there are some good parts in there, it just kind of felt ultimately that... Hobbs and Shaw kind of got two final bots fights versus Brixton instead of just one main one. It felt like the movie was over, and then I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. This is when it's going to end. And then it's like, oh, there's still like half an hour left in this film, right? So I could have done without the last bit. It wasn't a huge problem, though. And also, I would say the movie gets a tiny, 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 tiny bit repetitive. You know, there's, it gets banter, then they get into an action scene. Then there's banter, then they get into an action scene. Then there's more banter. And then there's another action scene. And I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because, look, like, like I said, the opener of this review, that's what you want from this movie, right? That's what you want. But at the same time, it just is a little too much for me at certain points. And there was a, a couple parts where it felt like it dragged. So I, that's, that's all I would really say. It's not, it's not a, a huge issue. You know what I mean? They're minor quips. I would say this movie sets up pretty well for a sequel. They leave it kind of open-ended. Like, they defeat Brixton, but they leave it open-ended on purpose. Uh, you know, not much in the way of competition at the box office other than, you know, the couple of stragglers who are going to see The Lion King. So it could have some legs. We'll see. I, mean, I feel like Hobbs and Shaw will be the movie to see in August for the next couple of a couple of weeks. Now, one thing I didn't mention about the acting is there are two major guest stars, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Kevin Hart. And even Rob Delaney, I guess, is... I don't know if he's quite on the level of Ryan Reynolds and Kevin Hart, but Rob Delaney's in it as well. And I'm kind of shocked that the marketing campaign for a movie like... Fast and the Furious showed enough restraint to not reveal that these guys were involved, which, because you know what? It was when they pop up on the screen, it's one of the better reveals both times of the whole movie. Rob Delaney, when he comes up, I don't think he's quite as familiar. So even, even I was kind of like, mm, the guy looks somewhat familiar. I know he's famous, but I don't, I don't think, but whereas everyone knows who Ryan Reynolds is and everyone knows who Kevin Hart is, especially through the lens of a, of, of a rock movie, right? And maybe it's just contractually obligated that Kevin Hart has to be in every, you know, The Rock movie going forward, which I'm frankly okay with. They played the Jumanji trailer before uh, before the movie started, and it was dope. <laughs> but um, it was just cool to see Ryan Reynolds, who is basically Deadpool in every movie now, right? I mean, he was Deadpool light in Detective Pikachu, and he was basically Deadpool in this movie as well. I guess that's Ryan Reynolds' thing now. Uh, you know, maybe we'll reach out to his PR agency and see if he'll come on the Showtime movie podcast. You know, let's let's try it. We can at least try, right? No sense in not trying. <laughs> and Kevin Hart. 
I know some people literally dislike him. I know he's really polarizing, but comedy wise, I think he is really funny and I enjoy his movies. So there you go. Right. It was kind of cool to see him in this. Uh, he wasn't quite as crazy as he usually is, but it was cool to see him in the movie. Right. So that's kind of it for Hobbs and Shaw. I had some very minor things. I mentioned at the beginning, yeah, it's a seven, maybe seven and a half out of 10. That seems right to me. And look, at, look I'll put it this way. Already, I think the last I checked, it was at 67% on the Rotten Tomato meter, which would make it review-wise one of, I think actually not even just one of the, the most successful Fast and the Furious movie out there. It is the most popular one in terms of critical critical approval and i think the audience rating as it is for all of them but the audience rating was much higher actually and one thing i actually didn't mention about jason statham i wanted to get this in because it's kind of fun the italian job reference if you spot it let me know because i thought it was pretty cool i also thought it was cool that the italian job remake obviously stars mark Wahlberg, who started in pain and game with the rock right a michael bay movie so there's a bit of a jason statham the rock like three degrees of separation kind of thing there right so if you spot it let me know either on twitter or shoot me an email you guys have all that contact information there so it'd be kind of cool to talk about that but yeah, that, that's a fun little thing to look out for oh and the final thing final thing i'll mention is that there are three after credit scenes there's one like kind of right after the movie ends there's a mid credit scene and then there is a actual after credit scene i will say that none of them actually really set up any further like plot wise stuff but they're kind of just fun they're just fun if you like the movie you might as well stick around because i think if, if you like the movie you would like these three scenes okay but yeah there, there you go hobbs and shaw final big blockbuster movie of the summer and if you you know have the need for speed then Hobbs and Shaw is for you I did also promise a quick look at the rankings now that Hobbs and Shaw is out in the world for us all to consume like the capitalists that we are am I right am I right no okay we'll leave that we'll leave that subject alone that's for another day Uh, um, we'll rank the Fast and the Furious movies and uh, if you guys listen to the podcast, you know that I love to tier things. Instead of saying like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I like to tier things. So let's, I'm going to split, now that there are nine movies, and actually, not that you necessarily have to have three tiers of three, but I personally think it works out that way. So we're going to have three tiers of three. I don't mean, didn't necessarily do that on purpose, but yeah, I think, well, we'll start with the bottom tier. Let's go bottom, middle, top, okay? And for the bottom tier, look, I know it's trendy now to say that Tokyo Drift is one of the best ones. It's secretly, it's like woke almost to say that Tokyo Drift is really a good movie. It's not though. Like Han Solo, that's his name. His last name is C, or rather S-C-O-U-L, the city, Seoul, hyphen O, O-H, right? So Seoul O, Han Solo, O, which is pretty cool. Because look, he was the best part about Tokyo Drift. It's unfortunate how that movie ends, i.e. with his death. And then we later see that in, I think it was the Fast 6 post credit scene, you see that <gasps> Deckard Shaw, Jason Statham's character, is the one who kills him, right? I personally don't believe that Han is dead. He was too popular to be dead. You know, it's probably, like, Etion was the corporation in this movie. Etion probably is going to, like, bring him back to life. That's how they're going to explain it in Fast 9, which is supposed to come out next year. 2020 and 2021 are both going to have Fast and the Furious movies, so there you go. Fast 9 and Fast 10. Uh, so Tokyo Drift to me is the worst movie. So I guess if even if you are, we are doing by tiers. Tokyo Drift is the third movie in the third tier. And then I guess the other ones, it'll be Fast and the Furious 6 
and Fast and the Furious, which I believe is the fourth movie, because the first one was just called The Fast and The Furious, and the the fourth one was called Fast and Furious. I don't know why they didn't just call it Fast 4. I mean, it's just the alliteration there works, too. I don't know why they did that. It's kind of confusing, I think. I guess maybe they were kind of like soft rebooting the series after Tokyo Drift, I guess, but whatever. Um... I would say Fast and the Furious 4 and Fast and the Furious 6. Fast 6 and Fast 4 are the ones that fill, kind of fill out the third tier. The middle tier is kind of a little harder because I feel like for one of them, you could probably sneak it into the top tier as far as I'm concerned. For me, it's Too Fast, Too Furious, which of, co- of course saw Tyrese be introduced into the series. Then there is uh, the, the Fast and the Furious, as I mentioned, the very first film in the series. And then number eight, The Fate of the Furious, right? And... I liked all of these movies and really I like all of them except for nine Tokyo Drift, which is just God awful. Right. But the fate of the furious was just a little too, hmm, I don't know what the right word is. Like it, it wasn't, not that it was too silly. Cause I mean, that's almost the part of the appeal at this point. Right. But it was almost like they tried to do too many things like with Charlie Theron's hacker character. And then like they, them breaking onto the plane to save a baby and then eliminating pretty ruthlessly the girl that, uh, Dom gets with in Fast Five, who actually in real life is Chris Hemsworth's wife, I believe. Anyway, so that kind of was kind of was a it was weird to me. It just it didn't. It was also the first one after Paul Walker had passed away. I know Furious Seven technically is the first one because he died during filming, but I don't count that one because there is some like original performances of his in that film. Whereas the fate of the Furious is the first movie. It's like kind of like what's going to happen now that Paul Walker is gone, right? And I don't know if it was that great. Ultimately, it was still fine. Like, the other ones are fine. But ultimately, I didn't really care for it that much. The top tier, though, I think every one of these three movies is pretty good. And look, you... Because if you've been paying attention, you'll know which of the nine movies I have not mentioned. Which, of course, are Fast Five, Hobbs and Shaw itself, and Furious 7. And... Fast Five is the undisputed number one. Just like Tokyo Drift is the undisputed worst one, the Fast Fast Five is the undisputed best one. It re- reinvented the series in a, in a fun, clever way. It introduced Luke Hobbs as kind of like the... He wasn't the villain, but kind of like the anti-hero. You know, it was in a new locale, Brazil. had some great music. Brought back pretty much every character you liked, including Gal Gadot and Sung Kang. Yeah, that's kind of like, that's why it's the best. It has the most diverse cast. I mentioned Hobbs and Shaw is pretty diverse. Fast Five is even more diverse, I feel like. And it's, it's, it's more fun. Hobbs and Shaw, I would put as a solid number two. And number three, Furious 7, probably because of the circumstances. It's terrible to say this, but I don't think it would be ranked as high if Paul Walker had lived. You know what I mean? A big part of why it was so good and so meaningful was because they were basically saying goodbye to this guy with a love letter of a movie. And I thought it was really cool. It was really well done. Some of the CGI was a little uncanny valley. I I, I feel like that's fair to say, but movie wise, it was fine. I think it spawned a number one hit as well until we meet again. I think the, I think the song was called and uh, yeah, I just furious seven was fine as well. You know, I think, I think a big part of it also is because Deckard Shaw was the bad guy and that was kind of cool as well because you know, that, that was the one, if you guys remember, where The Rock does the rock bottom on Jason Statham when they fight for the first time. Kind of cool, right? So, anyways, I just wanted to put that out there. But, yeah, that was, those, those are my rankings. Fast Five, Hobbs and Shaw, Furious 7 in the first tier, Too Fast, Too Furious, the first Fast and the Furious movie, and then The Fate of the Furious, number eight, in the second tier, and then Fast 6, Fast 4, and Tokyo Drift, which is a third movie, in case I haven't mentioned that, in the bottom tier. So, there you go. Frankly, I think the critical lens of the series is is pretty poor so i would say that 
Hobbs and Shaw deservedly is up there along with Fast Five just because the other ones are not that great. Like I said, they're fine, right? They're fine, but they're not amazing. So there you go. If you disagree, let me know. If you agree, let me know. It's always fun to talk to you guys about that kind of thing. That is it for movies from me today. I know I promised Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we will get to that movie. I I, I actually kind of forgot we were going to do that movie. I'll be completely honest with you guys. In this episode... And then I went to go see Hobbs and Shaw, and I'm like, you know what, let's get this episode out as soon as possible so we can have the conversation about it. The Once Upon a Time in Hollywood show is coming. It's going to come next week. Uh, I have lined up for guests for that. We're going to get my good friend, who you've all heard before, Quentin Amundsen, who is a huge movie buff. He knows so much more about movies than a lot of people do. I would say, honestly, I would, I dare say he might, might even know more about movies than I do, as hard as I, as, as much as I hate to admit it. Ah! Quentin, God, no, I'm kidding. He's going to come on the podcast next week. We're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Lulu Wang's The Farewell, which apparently is one of the best movies of the year. So I'm going to see that this week, and then Quentin will join me to talk about it, and you will be privy to all the thoughts we have right here on the podcast. But for now, that is it for this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and as always... Have a great night. I'm on the next level. Yeah, I know you heard about it. You know I'm bad at bad it. And don't you ever doubt it. I'm incomparable. That's why they staring low. Turn up the stereo. Check it out, check it out, check it out.